Welcome back to Brain Buzz Podcast. It's Drake. Uh, today, we actually had Dr. Jiang Zhao on to talk about uh, her new work on direct cash transfers and how it can reduce homelessness. Uh, so we had a really interesting conversation about uh, that, and we hope you enjoy. Friends, colleagues, and advocates for social change, welcome back to another episode of Brain Buzz. We're your hosts. I'm Kyle. And I'm Drake. And today we are delighted to be joined by Dr. Zhang Zhao, an associate professor in the Department of Psychology and Institute for Resources, Environment, and Sustainability at UBC, as well as the Canada Research Chair in Behavioral Sustainability. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Zhang, what spawned the idea and conception of this project to give homeless people lump sums of cash? Um, as you know, there's a raging homelessness crisis in Canada and U.S. So um, this is something I've been working on. I work on poverty uh, and the cognitive consequences of poverty. I'm also work on, working on interventions to reduce poverty. Um, so in 2016, uh, there was um, a charitable, well, actually, at that point, it was a nonprofit organization called New Leaf Project, founded by Claire Williams and Franz uh, Chilanji. Um, so they had the idea of using cash transfers to reduce homelessness in, in Vancouver. So they approached me in early 2016, and I, my eyes lit up. I said, this must be done. I will do whatever it takes to make this happen. So we applied for grants, we fundraised, and um, you know, a year later, we got grants and funding. Um, so this, this is how the project came about. So specifically, we want to give each um, individual experiencing homelessness $7,500 in one lump sum unconditionally. And we want to know the impact of the cash transfer on their lives. Uh, so we ran this project as a randomized control trial. So that's jargon. Basically, this means an experiment, <laughs> a social experiment, where you know, we recruit people, uh, people living in shelters across actually 22 shelters from Metro Vancouver. And once they are enrolled in the study, we randomly assign them into the cash group where they will receive the 7,500 or the non-cash group, which is called control condition. Um, and we follow every participant over one year and see the impact of this cash transfer on their lives. Awesome. And so you're comparing uh, in this study, you compared the control group, so the group that didn't get the money and the group that got the $7,500 direct ca cash transfer, right? That's the, That's the right. RCT. Yep. And so, so what, I, I mean, we're just going to jump into it because this is awesome. I think it's so interesting. What did you find? I, I mean, I have a bunch of other questions, but uh, what is the main findings? Well, the main findings uh, blew my mind. Actually, before yeah. I jump into that, um, <laughs> we pre-registered study on, on you know Open Science Framework, and we all made our bets in terms of what the results will look like. Right, um, yeah. We made very safe, conservative bets, <laughs> um, <laughs> and none of those was, came out to be true. Instead, the outrageous results, things that I would never dream of, came true. So for instance... Uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Before you do that, yeah. how about we talk about what you thought? I, I'm yeah. quite interested because, <laughs> I mean, I, obviously they're not going to be, I mean, as you said, they might not be right or, you know, we might have had uh, preconceptions as to what might happen. I mm. personally, I mean, I can't think of what might happen. I, I think there's a bunch of different things that could happen, good or bad, uh, from giving somebody $7,500. But I'm curious what you guys uh, had come up with. 
Yeah, so um, we based our predictions um, on previous studies on cash transfers, but these are mm-hmm. done in developing countries uh, with low-income villagers, typically in uh, in Kenya, Uganda, etc. So okay. uh, these studies found that direct cash transfers improved subjective well-being, so mm-hmm. um, positive mood, affect, and life satisfaction. Uh, it also improved assets, so durable goods, uh, and allow allowed uh, these villagers to to purchase. Uh, you know, seeds and, and capital on their farm so they can start their, you know, farming business. Um, there's some improvements in food security uh, in, in the family. So, and then based on my work, uh, I thought the cash transfer would improve cognitive function. So specifically executive function. Um, so these are the, uh, our pre-registered uh, predictions. Mm-hmm. Only a few of those came true. Um, I would have never thought, you know, I, because nobody knew the answer and we made our bets. Um, uh, yeah, so that was our best guess, which yeah. turned out to be wrong. <laughs> but I'm very, in, in a very good way. Okay, that usually doesn't happen that way. Usually it's yeah. the opposite. <laughs> so, so, so what happened? So we found that um, in one month after the cash transfer, uh, most of our participants were able to get into stable housing. That blew my mind. I thought, wow. I thought housing would take a year. To, to come mm-hmm. out because, you know, the wait to get into housing, if you're homeless in Vancouver is six months. So we thought, well, maybe they will get into housing after six months, but no, they got into housing after one month um, in a city like Vancouver that, that has high rents and low vacancy rates. Mm-hmm. So that, that really exceeded my expectations. And when we looked into the, looking through the data further, um, they got into their, either their own apartments, their shared apartments with others uh, or modular housing units. That's an uh, affordable housing development in the city of Vancouver. So that was incredibly encouraging to see. Whereas the control participants, you know, they, they still remain in the shelters for, for a while. And then after nine months, um, they eventually caught up. And that was just because okay. that's how things will progress if you're homeless in Vancouver. Um, right. So that was... Wow, the, eight month difference, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that was, that was the biggest surprise to me. So the one month, that's quick. That's a quick turnaround to get into an affordable housing or just find housing in general uh, and to work within the budget that they probably allotted themselves. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Actually, that, that brings up a great point where I know this was, um, maybe this didn't happen, but did these, did the individuals that received the cash infusion, were they given any, um, any additional like uh, financial literacy training or was it really just like, Here's seventy five hundred bucks in cash. Let's see what happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> we did provide financial literacy training from Density, um, but I don't think anyone took up on that. Uh, okay. Just to uh, go back a little bit, uh, we didn't mm-hmm. give them the cash in dollar bills. We uh, <laughs> no. we set up uh, free checking accounts in Density for our participants, and then we e transferred money into their checking account. See, I think um, I think that's a really interesting point to be making uh, because one of the major barriers, to my understanding at least, having worked in a financial institution, um, one of the barriers for a lot of individuals, low-income individuals, is actually getting access to banking. Mm-hmm. And that has a, a serious cascading effect in terms of things that we've already talked about, getting housing, um, you know, applying for jobs. Because if you're applying for housing, they want somewhere that they know the money is going to be coming from, right? Like a bank account. They, you know, often they'll want that kind of information. So that's really, 
I think that's such a critical step there. And I think that's really important. So, so you said that the, it took them only one month to get into stable housing, but what were the other findings? Were there any other like positive findings? Cause you said you were shocked by a lot of them. So it sounds like there's oh, more than yeah. one. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, that's amazing. That's obviously, that's a, a huge goal for homeless people to get out of, you know, being homeless and to have somewhere to, to, to have shelter. So what else was there? Was there, was there cognitive improvements? Was there other, like other food security or other things that you guys guessed? Yeah. So, uh, two of our pre-registered, uh, predictions came true. One is food security. So one month after the cash transfer, um, our recipients were able to achieve food, sec- food security, whereas control participants remain food insecure for, uh, about three, three, three more months. Um, okay. So that's what, what qualifies as food security, Jiang? Oh, so this is a, a, a questionnaire um, from USDA, um, basically measuring how hungry you are, how many days do you have to go without having any food, uh, do you are you worried about feeding your family? So basically, you, they check, you know, they answer these questions, and then mm-hmm. we derive food security as a score on that questionnaire. Okay, so you see like tangible improvements within their like their ability to acquire the food that they need uh, and Absolutely. eat regularly. Yeah. At one okay. month, yeah, yeah. At one month, okay, cool. Yeah, uh, and oh, cool. cognitive function. Sorry, so so just executive function uh, also improved, um, but that improved not right away. That that only showed up, I think, at three months. So that didn't come out right away. Interesting. So what's executive functioning, if you don't mind <laughs> defining oh, executive? Functioning? Yeah, of course. So that's the ability to override our automatic uh, 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 responses. So this is measured in a Stroop task. So it's like. You know, you see something on the screen that's, you know, you see a left object on the screen um, or an object on the left-hand side on the screen and you have to press right or something like that. So you have to override your automatic responses to keep some uh, rules in mind. Um, okay. So that's executive, executive control. Um, that, on that measure, the, uh, the only the significant differences emerged at three months after the cash transfer. And why, and why do you think that is? I mean, what, what was, what is the, you know, reasoning for, you know, a cash infusion to improve executive functioning or executive control? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, what we saw, what we, well, actually the data is basically for the cash group, it, they, the, the executive control increased consistently over three months, whereas for the control, they kind of fluctuated and largely remained flat. Um, so we, what we think is going on is the cash uh, transfer gave you a peace of mind. It allowed you okay. to rethink about your choices. It gave you more bandwidth uh, to, to attend to other things. Um, so obviously this task that they have to do on, on our iPads um, is something that's outside, outside of their ordinary problems, right? Mm-hmm. So what this task measured was how much bandwidth, mental bandwidth you have to work with at any given moment. Um, so, so that's actually based on my prior work showing that you actually have reduced mental bandwidth, um, under poverty. So this cash transfer can alleviate your financial constraints. It can, you know, basically alleviate worries about paying rent, paying for food, all these financial troubles. Um, and it gave you basically more bandwidth to think about other problems in your life. Wow. And so, so in a way, it's kind of like having all these stressors constantly going through your head or affecting the way that you, you know, in a, from moment to moment, actually think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Really interesting. And there's just so much to unpack with this really fascinating and, and groundbreaking study. I, I think maybe we can start with how did you decide on $7,500? Where did that number come from? 
Um, $7,500 uh, was the annual uh, sum of the welfare checks you get in 2016 oh. in British Columbia. Because the study, we designed the study in 2016. Um, that was basically you get six, six ten a month from the government mm. if you're below a certain income threshold. So this is the kind of the welfare rates in BC. And what we thought was, let's, um, we want to make the study policy relevant. So the implication is, you know, if you're recently homeless, um, if you, so I actually, we, we have, you know, a set of criteria uh, for power participants. So if you pass these criteria, um, what, you, what the government should do is give you a lump sum of $7,500 on top of what you're, what you're already receiving. And this lump sum will propel you out of homelessness. So that's the idea. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to preface our 7,500, that this lump sum did not influence their eligibility for income assistance or other kind of, you know, uh, uh, access to, 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 to uh, programs, social programs. So, okay. So, so what happened was they got uh, a lump sum of $7,500 at mm-hmm. whatever date, let's say January 1st, because that's how much they would have received or they would receive on welfare uh, at the time for the calendar year. But throughout the course of the year, they also receive their income assistance payments. That's right. What is the long-term uh, prognosis for these individuals? Like, we know that they've they've had all these really profound positive effects, but how long do you forecast those as being, uh, you, you know, sustained? That's a great question. Um, we're actually fundraising to to track people for two years, uh, so. You know, fortunately, we're in contact with um, some of our, well, actually, many of our participants still. Um, so we aim to track them for as long as we can uh, with enough funding. Um, yeah, that's an open question. We have data uh, of some participants for two years, and the two-year data were pretty much consistent with the one-year data. So I hope that this this effect, especially in stable housing or food security. Um, that would sustain or last a long time, um, but you know we don't know the exact long-term benefits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly it takes time to to collect that longitudinal type data. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 Jiang, the uh, the three. I mean, the findings that you talked about so far now is so giving giving a lump sum of seventy five hundred dollars appears to be increasing their ability to get housing, which is amazing improving their cognitive functioning or their executive control mm-hmm. and then also improving their food security are there any other things that you see positive are there any other positive benefits that you saw or what did you not see that you expected i guess okay so other benefits included savings um our cash recipients were able to retain you know about a thousand dollars more savings than control participants over one year that's incredible that wow. means they did not wow. spend the money right away. You know, it's not like they went on a splurge and then, you know, spend all the money. So their savings kind of uh, remained at a higher level than control uh, participants over one year. I feel like, and I and I think this might be something to, to kind of address as well, is uh, I think from the outside looking in, there might be a lot of stigma about giving homeless people lump sums mm-hmm. uh, from the, the general person, you would assume that, oh, they're just going to waste it on X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. And that's directly countering that belief. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we also have spending data. So uh, part, cash recipients obviously spent more money over time. 
they spend yeah. money mostly on rent and food. Uh, some also spend on transit. So, so we have a few participants bought, who bought a car after the cash transfer. So they're able to drive their kids to daycare and go to work. Um, right. They bought you know, food and clothing for, for their kids. Um, they bought furniture. We also tracked one important uh, spending um, domain, which is alcohol, drugs, and cigarettes. Absolutely. So this is what we call temptation goods. And that's where, I think you're right, that's where people's assumptions start to go wrong. Right. You know, if people think that if we give cash to the people who are homeless, then, then they're going to squander it on, on, these, on drugs and overdose. Exactly. That's yeah. not what we saw. We actually saw a 39% reduction on spending on alcohol, drugs, and cigarettes over one year. 39% reduction across the board. Across the board for the cash. And the control is pretty much remained flat. And there's a slight increase for control over time. And, and, and can I ask, what, was, what is the amount, um, if, that's, if that's acceptable to ask, what is the amount within the control and experimental group compared to just a non-homeless population? Ah, <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, their monthly spending on temptation goods is about $120 a month. So $120. Okay. Uh, I think that's probably how much I spent on alcohol. If you drink socially with friends, um, especially during COVID, I feel like that's a reasonable spending amount. Um, yes. And yeah. in terms of their monthly income, uh, you know, again, depends on how much they have, but that's like mm-hmm. a fraction. So right. I mean, looking into the data, it's about, you know, 10 to 20%. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, th- I find that really interesting because I think I think that you'll have people counter and say, well, they shouldn't be spending anything. They shouldn't be spending $120. And, and I, I think that kind of defeats the point. The point is to integrate these people back into society the way the rest of us are fortunate enough to be living. And so, you know, to, to suggest that we're going to ask these people to play by entirely different rules, but also play by our rules but not all of them is, is kind of a ridiculous ask in my mind. Like we have such strict, you know, expectations for, for people who are homeless. You should not do that, you know? Right. Um, yeah. 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 One thing that you touched on was transportation and, and some of the mm-hmm. spending, you know, uh, having access to a vehicle that they could take their kids to daycare or get themselves to work. Um, what about access to public transit? And, and does, do you think that you, are there applications for the study in, uh, providing better access to public transportation for at-risk individuals? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so they do also spend increase their spending on bus tickets. Um, I think uh, that, that, that means that they're more mobile, right? Um, and Vancouver has reasonable, reasonably good uh, public transit. Um, of course, this is provided that they ha- they're close to a bus stop or a SkyTrain um, station. So um, yeah, so we do see increases in using public transit. So we've talked about a couple, like there's a lot of positives here. Are there more positives still? Are you, I mean, this is, this is why you're so excited. I can tell because, you know, these are on its, on the surface already. What you've talked about is brilliant and really, really, you know, promising. Yeah. um, So I think these are the main positives we've seen. There are mostly null results and some negatives that I did not again expect. So um, 
the no results are kind of boring because it's just like they're the same. They're the same. You know, they're, they're the same. <laughs> so let me talk about some of the negatives. Yeah. Uh, so one thing we saw, so as I said, one of our pre-registered results was uh, subjective well-being. And that means, you know, how satisfied you are with your life, uh, the amount of positive emotions you experience, the amount of negative emotions. So we did see a, a very transient increase in subjective well-being at one month. So obviously people felt better after they get the cash transfer. But right. then right after that, it just started to decline over time. Oh. Um, we have no idea what caused that decline. Uh, that decline even, you know, even persisted over 12 months. And one of the kind of the most interesting decline is in self-efficacy. So self-efficacy is the belief that I can handle problems. You know, I can yeah. do, I can handle challenges. I can come up with the solutions. Um, that just kind of, that score declined uh, almost consistently over 12 months, whereas the control participants remained flat. So that's, that, that's, that's, a, great, that's a big puzzle for us. Um, I thought that, you know, I thought cash transfers would promote their self-efficacy because now they can solve more problems. They're able to get into stable housing. That's incredible. Uh, but no, but instead they felt worse. Um, and there's some, you know, explanations. This is completely speculation. Um, one, one, one speculation is maybe, you know, with stable housing, with uh, a life out of homelessness, um, they have new challenges. Um, you know, they, maybe as they gained stability in their lives, they kept thinking, well, this is really hard. I don't know if I can do it later. Um, uh, and this is somewhat consistent with some literature that suggests once you like the lottery winners, yeah. uh, mm. people who have a windfall, they actually think, oh, wow, geez, I don't have time to do stuff. I, I don't, I no longer have leisure time. I, I, I'm so busy. I, I have so many problems, you know, so that could be why the self-efficacy score declined. But yeah, that's a guess. Another yeah. decline was in social connection. That one is actually statistically significant. <laughs> so okay. the cash recipients uh, had less connection with people over time as opposed to the control condition. Could that be because of, you know, they have some built some sort of community with other homeless individuals and that now they are more stable housing that they're not around those. That's individuals? right. So we had to basically cash transfer, um, got them out of the shelter, out of their community. Um, they're living in a different place. So they have mm -hmm. to make new friends. Um, so that could be one reason. The second reason is um, before they get the cash, uh, we actually had a conversation, a pretty kind of detailed conversation with each participant about, you know, who you think you should tell, uh, who should know th this, this news, right? Um, right? Who do you think are safe uh, for you to know that you got this $7,500? Mm -hmm. And we also encouraged them not to broadcast this, this news to people. Because right. they, they will face, they may face threats or uh, assaults um, or theft. This, e this yeah. echoes, uh, like you said, the uh, lottery winning. Very similar, yeah. right? Yeah. So we, we encourage them to become like more protective of their identity and their privacy right. um, after the cash transfer. So that's what they did. They actually didn't tell a lot of people. They only told their close friends and family. And that may create some barriers, right? Social barriers. Now I feel like I have to keep a secret. Um, so that's another reason where they felt less connected to people.
Interesting. Really interesting. I, I have a, I have some thoughts about the first finding that you're talking about with uh, the self-efficacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is very basic and I, and I don't, uh, it, it, it's so simple that it's probably not right, but um, <laughs> it, it just sounds like more money, more problems at this in this situation, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, I am sure you've already heard that from a million people, but it, it, it does sound that way, right? The more money that they have, the, the more problems they're, they're, they're now perceiving that they didn't have before. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, more money opens more problems. Um, <laughs> but, but these are good problems, I think, but still they're problems. It's interesting though, because even though there's, you know, maybe it is a more money, more problems kind of situation, um, you, you don't see the negative cognitive consequences as a, co- as a result of the more problems. And so the types of problems that are being faced seem to be different, I, I think is really, and, and having different cognitive consequences really. Yeah, yeah. I think that that's actually a valid point um, because we did a debriefing with all participants. Uh, for the cash participants, we asked their feedback on this intervention. Um, we said, you know, would you prefer to receive the cash in a different way? Would you like to receive more help in addition to the cash transfer? And half of our participants, the cash recipients said, yes, I would love to get a financial advisor to help me manage my money. Um, right. So I think yeah. that that may speak to that kind of challenge. Am I am I spending it right? Um, so yeah. So I think that that also suggests that in in our next iteration of the project, we need probably should provide some uh, uh, financial management skill training or provide a financial advisor or trustee if they want. Right. Certainly. Yeah. I, I you you mentioned it, so I'll, I'll ask the question: What are the next steps with this project? Yeah, um, we are uh, fundraising. Um, well, actually, yeah, we are fundraising aggressively. Uh, we're, mm-hmm. we're, we're looking to raise uh, $20 million to replicate this approach in three cities in Canada um, wow. over, the, over the next five years. That's and, more than car washes and lemonade stands for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that would take a Although lot I'm sure of every, lemonade. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure every dollar helps if you got, you know, if you got a couple bucks lying around. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think wow. I mean, we, we did the calculation, you know, we did a power analysis to figure out how many people we need uh, in each city. Um, so we're targeting uh, like Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, and Halifax. Um, okay. So yeah, that's why it, it, it's, it's, it's very expensive. And also the, the welfare rates have gone up since then. So right now it's about $8,500 uh, per year. So, All right. yeah. Already increasing significantly. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Inflation. Yeah, it affects everybody. Um, yeah. So I think it's really, I think it's a really good, interesting point uh, that you mentioned that it'll be in, in four cities across Canada, Vancouver, Montreal, Toronto, and Halifax. Um, those unfamiliar with the geography of Canada won't realize this, but Vancouver is a very temperate climate really in the winter relative to Toronto and Montreal certainly and to Halifax mm-hmm. to a lesser degree um, do you expect changes or more significant changes in those cities where the the weather conditions are are drastically different in terms of how they vary from season to season yeah I think housing is going to be incredibly important in the winter times um, yeah that that's my guess and this is also um, important when we distribute the cash. So, mm-hmm. so in Vancouver, in this pilot, uh, we, we recruit people on a rolling basis. We had four waves of data collect, well, recruitment. Um, so it, it happened you know, throughout the year. 
But I think in Toronto and, and, and Montreal, we need to be more careful with when we distribute the cash. And ideally before winter times. Um, right. It have to be fatal. Right? That's, that's, that's really difficult. Absolutely. Yeah, certainly. Um, you said that there were four rolling waves. How many people did you actually uh, recruit to participate in this study or enroll in this study? Right. We enrolled a total of 115 participants. So 50 of those received the cash transfer and 65 were in the non-cash condition, the control condition. All right. And how many, how many are you hoping to recruit in the upcoming iteration of it? Oh, that's my question. So 1,000 cash and uh, 1,500 in the non-cash group per city. Wow. Wow, per, per city. city. Oh, yeah. good Lord. Yeah, I mean, we, I... we do need that sample size. To, to, I mean, we had some effect size uh, in our study. So based on that, we really need a large sample. You know what yeah. I really like about this, though, is as researchers, we'll do a study and we'll just be like, oh, hopefully these things will have some impact, uh, you know, later on down the line. But just by virtue of doing these studies, you may already be making significant social changes. Oh, yeah. I think we're getting attention from the government, from nonprofit, from the nonprofit sector, even the private sector. Um, they, they're, they're getting more supportive of our approach. So uh, we're, we're, we're getting closer to that expansion goal. Yeah, so one thing absolutely. I do want to mention uh, is um, cost benefits. So is this a, is it a really is it a smart way for government to to you know to, to reduce homelessness? Um, so we looked at service use among our participants. So service use to, to shelters, to hospitals, police encounters in the justice system, um, because you know each homeless individual costs the government about fifty five thousand dollars to one hundred thirty thousand dollars a year. That's just how much money the government spend on social and health services. So that's already, so the status quo is costly, very costly to the taxpayers. Yeah, no kidding. Holy. Yeah, so we want to know whether this cash transfer can, can produce any savings um, by reducing people's reliance on social services. So we actually found, um, again, that's a positive result. Over one year, uh, each cash recipient is able to save $8,000 more than the non-cash participants. So $8,000, actually it's $8,172. That's already greater than the $7,500. So yeah. what this means is that this approach can be cost-effective for the government. Right. So by giving these lump sums, they're actually making money in, in the long run. And not exactly. even really that much of a long run because it's only one year. It's one year, yeah. Yeah, so it's actually quite short considering that. I have a question about... Um, the sums that you're giving, because because we are doing, you know, you said you based it off the welfare that they're being uh, being allotted. Um, do you think that larger lump sums would would create more positive outcomes and more of a, you know, more return per se? Yeah. So larger meaning, like instead of seventy five hundred, like why not try ten thousand? Yeah. I mean, what, what's uh, what's the magic number, I guess, <laughs> you, in your head? Like, what do you think it is? <laughs> That's a great question. That took us forever to figure out. Yeah. Um, so I think obviously the 75 has, you know, policy implications. But uh, if I could, I would give them more. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, maybe not millions, uh, but mm -hmm. I would love to try $10,000 to see what that would do uh, to people. Um, that has to depend on the cost of living in each city. So I think, you know, you probably don't need, well, sorry, in a, in a, let's say in Halifax, which is one, 
that is one of our expansion sites, uh, the cost of living is probably a lot lower than Vancouver. Um, so I would say that maybe $7,500 will go a longer way than mm-hmm. it would in Vancouver. But I don't know what the magic number would be. Um, you know, I think for, for studies on lottery winners uh, who, who won millions and millions of dollars overnight, uh, that doesn't seem to help their well-being yes, over the long yeah. term. Um, so I would, I would not go too, too far. Um, but I would say like a decent living wage, that's the minimum. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've had this conversation with a couple of friends being predicated on the idea of like how much is how much is how much amount of money is life changing enough? You know, like what what is life changing to you? Mm-hmm. Um and ten thousand dollars, that is a that is a substantial amount of money that can really ch- change the way that you perceive the world around you or your ability to succeed. Mm-hmm. And I think being around that and having that opportunity is so beneficial. And I, I just love the work that you're doing and the, the ability to do research but also make social change at the same time is really cool yeah thanks that's that's my goal yeah yeah absolutely. <laughs> I, I love it i i couldn't be i couldn't be more excited with this project i think it's so incredibly groundbreaking um and i think it's important to note you know the next iteration you're hoping to help at least four thousand people find homes and get off the streets right and that that yeah. that in and of itself is worth as much good karma as, as one can possibly <laughs> garner. So I think, well, you know, <laughs> I think it's well deserved. question for you guys. Um, how yeah. many people do you think are homeless on a given night in Canada? I honestly don't want to know in some ways because it's going to make me feel awful. But Okay, how many people are homeless on a given night in Vancouver? Oh, Jesus. Okay, uh, I'm going to try, try for the Canada one and then I'll try the Vancouver yeah. Uh, and this is okay. So we have thirty-two, thirty-six million, thirty-seven million, or something like that in Canada. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, oh Jesus. Uh, <laughs> let's say, let's go a hundred thousand. Actually, no, that's way too much. Maybe that's way too. I hope that's way too much. Let's say, let's say, fifty thousand. That's it seems like it's reaching. But okay. Uh, and then Vancouver would probably be like ten thousand. I seems like I don't know five thousand maybe. Mm, I think so. I'm gonna go. I'm going to go 65,000 on any given night in Canada. And I will say, because I think Vancouver probably has a much greater homeless population. 65 seems like a lot of people. I'm going to say, God damn it. Uh, Let's say, (laughs) how many did you say, Drake, for Vancouver? No, you can't cheat like that. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to say, you said said five. I'm going to say 10,000. Wow. Um, yeah, well, so you guys are good on the ballpark, but, but, but overestimating. So on a given night, it's 35,000 people in the street. Now, but, but that was four years ago. I okay. think now in COVID, that number definitely has increased. I'm going to guess. Right. There's no official numbers yet, but I'm going to guess it's close to 50,000, especially right. during COVID. That and, makes a lot of sense, yeah. Yeah, so Vancouver was 2,000, but that's, again, a couple of years ago. So right now, I'm going to say it's a lot higher. It's probably three to 4,000. I'm so thankful to hear that we are overshooting. I yeah. think <laughs> that I still was, is a lot. That is a yeah. lot of people, yeah. especially yeah. in a small city like Vancouver, 2,000 individuals being homeless on any given night, too, right? Okay. And, that, and that's talking about, you know, that's not the same group every night. That's yeah. a lot of cycling. Transiently homeless, yep. yeah. Yeah. And at the end of the day, all the, you know, the number that matters is it's 2,000 people that shouldn't be, right? You know, we can, yeah. I, I think 
I think what I love about this work trying is that it so clearly illustrates that we can make positive change with relatively low costs. Like there's no, yes. there's not too much overhead cost here to, to actually make some, some significant change. Yep. Um, I, I, I'm curious, do you think, um, because this work is specifically in Canada, do you think that there is, or there would be differences across different countries, different cities, um, with how this would affect, you know, the outcomes? Do you think that Americans would, would see the same outcomes? Do you think that, you know, people in Europe, Asia, whatever, um, would they be seeing the same outcomes? Yeah, well, um, we don't have data yet, but I guess the outcomes will be similar. Uh, mm-hmm. The U.S., again, has a raging homelessness crisis. Uh, we yeah. are in conversations with a few cities in the U.S., like uh, San Francisco and New York, uh, to see how we can replicate this in the U.S. Um, I So my my guess is that if participants are able to pass our screening criteria, um, then they should be able to, you know, benefit from this cash transfer. Now, I right. don't know whether this cash transfer will benefit the chronically homeless. My guess mm-hmm. is yes, but I don't have any evidence. Right. And so, so I think that's a really important note too, is what is the criteria for these tr- cash transfers? Because I think there may be, certain individuals that are more at risk of not being able to appropriately use that money if they were transferred it. Is that correct to say? Yes. Well, so that, that was, um, we actually had a, a very long battle with the UBC ethics board on yep. who should be in the study. Um, right. And uh, we had, we, you know, we had to put in some really stringent criteria in the study to make sure that the cash would not result, result in harm to participants. Um, so our criteria are simply, you know, age, um, 19 to 65 years old, homeless for less than two years, uh, Canadian citizen with PR, um, non, non-severe levels of substance use or alcohol use or psychiatric symptoms. So these are our criteria. That's really pivotal for, you know, these newer, more transient homeless individuals that mm-hmm. are, you know, just getting into it. If there's a program set up, which I think is the goal here to kind of have these programs, if you're recently become homeless, to have this option and kind of have this kind of government funding or just funding in general to propel you out of that. That's yeah. brilliant. And that's great on its own. What about those individuals that don't meet that criteria, right? Those, the, the individuals that are um, dealing with mental illness or dealing with other, you know, chronic illnesses, that might not meet that criteria. What do you think needs to be done with that group to allow them to get out of that as well? Right. So I think uh, for those participants who didn't uh, qualify for our study, um, they need different kind, a different intervention from cash transfers. So they probably should receive uh, rehab services. They should, mm-hmm. you know, receive detox programs. Uh, maybe you know counseling and other kinds of, kinds of support services. Um, to, to get them back on a level of functionality. So that's, that's, that's what I would recommend first. But of course, I'm not an expert in mental health um, right. or substance use. Uh, yeah. But I think a cash transfer is probably not the best intervention for them yet. Right. Yeah, I mean, having those, having those resources in tandem makes sense. But yeah, you would definitely be weary. And obviously you were, uh, your whole group was, uh, when having to justify who, you, who you're going to target for your, demogra- your, your target demographic. Right. Shang, I've got I've got uh, a quick question here for you, and it's a bit of a politically loaded one, um, in some sense. But what what is what are your takes on the idea of universal basic income? Ah, uh, that so I'm all for it, um, but I think we have to do it 
do it carefully and do it well. Um, so I don't think there is a truly universal income trial out there yet. Um, you mean UBI should be universal in theory? That, that is everyone in that society gets a regular payment, right? Mm -hmm. But that has not been the case. It's always targeting the low-income uh, communities. Um, so it's not universal. It's just, it's just basic income. Um, and the benefits so far are, again, limited. Um, there are benefits on mental health, on physical health conditions, on uh, well-being, on community integration. Uh, so the, the effects are positive, and I have yet seen a negative result on UBI. Um, but there's, you know, there are, uh, I think there are, there could be consequences if, if we don't do it well. Um, right. So I think it's, it's kind of, this UBI is one of those things that it's, it's all designed with good intentions, um, but the, ex the execution to me is crucial. So yes. I'm yeah. all in support of UBI, um, but we have to we have to do it well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess that I think your your caveat there is a caveat that should be in place for any anything, right? Like, mm -hmm. there's what's the point of doing something if we're not going to do it properly and and effectually, right? Just... Yep. Are there any other things you want to highlight from this project? Because there's we've talked about so much, but I mean, there are probably still more that you can talk about if you <laughs> wanted to. Um, are there any points that we missed that you think we, we would benefit from having on this uh, the episode? Um, yeah, I guess one last thing I want to mention is just, you know, how entrepreneurial some of our participants are. This is um, not a not the majority, but we did see some some cash recipients starting their own business. <laughs> with the cash oh, transfer. Wow. <laughs> that was incredible. I, I yeah. was so happy when I heard that. One person yeah. was starting her bakery shop. Uh, one person wanted to start her crochet uh, business. Um, and then uh, we have a, a one person, I think, one of the starting their fishing business or something like that. Um, so they're all at their various stages uh, of their own entrepreneurial venture. But that's incredible. Like that, they, they actually yeah. see this transfer as something that they can invest in. Right. That, that's awesome. And we are actually thinking of allowing people to pool their money together. So 7,500 per person is 7,500. But if I can get 10 people together and say, let's, let's pull this together. So now it's $75,000. Now we can do something really major with that money. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I, I think that would be a very exciting uh, avenue for further research. Like, can Absolutely. people, can this start an incubator for people who want to, you know, invest, who want to start their own business? Uh, that's, yeah. that, again, we see very preliminary signals from our pilot, but that was, that was, again, another kind of cherry that we saw. Uh, I absolutely love that. That That's incredible. Uh, you know, the entre entrepreneurial spirit is alive <laughs> yeah. and well, and you just have absolutely. to, have to give it all the, what, give it what it needs to, to really get out there. Yep. Fantastic. Yep. Before we wrap up, uh, this area of research is rife with myth, myths and, and misconceptions, I think, uh, mm -hmm. like, uh, especially with this, this specific population, there's like we talked about the stigma associated with these populations. Are there any myths or misconceptions that you kind of want to demystify for our viewers about homelessness or anything related to you know cash transfers or anything that you, you talked about today? Yeah, I want to demystify maybe two things. One is... Um, a homeless individual is not what you think. They do not overdose. They do not, you know, abuse substance. They, you know, they do not suffer from severe mental health 
uh, problems. Uh, it's not the prototypical person that that, that you see on the, on the street, right? So that's one. Um, two is we should trust them more. Um, we should, you know, at least society should invest in this direct cash transfer approach to help them get out of the street. They can spend it well. They know how to improve and lift themselves out of homelessness. So yeah, we should advocate for that kind of approach. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I'll, I'll add, I remember reading recently a, a statistic showing that the vast majority of people in the U.S., or at least a lot of people in the U.S., are not that far away from homelessness them, themselves, really. You know, if you're yeah, living so paycheck another, to paycheck. That's another devastating number. 40% of Canadians are two paychecks away from being homeless. So, and that's particularly scary, especially, as you mentioned, within, you know, COVID times and where... Yeah it's a lot less stable. Um, You might see friends and family members that were just scraping by having to kind of may have may become homeless in in the near future, right? Or may have in the last few months, right? Yep. Yeah. And that really does, you know, reiterate the fact that we can't dehumanize these individuals and that Mm -hmm. we have to trust them uh, and believe that they can they can, with the proper assistance, they can get out of it. Yep. Fantastic, Zhang. Thank you so very much. Um, just before we kind of wrap up here, how can people get involved? I, I know this is a particularly uh, particularly large project, and so I'm sure people are feeling good and they, they want to help out in ways they can. What can they do to really um, be advocates for change? Um, I will welcome them, them get in touch with me uh, or our, our, our foundations, Foundation for Social Change. Please get in touch. Um, I would love to talk more and get your support. Great. You've heard it here. Um, all right. With that, we'll, uh, we'll wrap up another episode of Brain Buzz. Uh, thank you, Zhang, so very, very, very much for joining us. It was a great episode. I've learned a lot. Um, I think that your work is is particularly impactful, meaningful, and, uh, and really positive. And so I'm appreciative of you taking the time to share it with us today. Well, thank you, Kai and Drake. Oh, absolutely. No thank you so much. Make sure to subscribe to Brain Buzz on Spotify or Apple Podcasts and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Brain Buzz Pod. As well, head over to brainbuzzpodcast.com and get yourself on our email newsletter. You can sign up there. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.